I'm going to invite our guests to come up today. Eugene Ao, who was recommended to us by uh, Maureen and uh, Fu. And uh, Maureen has known his wife for some years. They have known each other, I was told, since before the womb or in the womb or something like that. So <laughs> I don't know how that's completely... Well, anyway, will you ask her about that? Um, but we want to just give a warm Pilgrim welcome to you this morning, and thank you for coming to share with us today. Welcome yeah. to Pilgrim. Thank you, Pastor Shell. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, my name is Eugene. I am the Director of Development and Mobilization for International Justice Mission Canada. Uh, and in this role, I have the opportunity to, uh, to connect with uh, people, raise awareness of the work of International Justice Mission, uh, and connect with churches uh, to speak uh, and engage in furthering our understanding of what it means uh, when we say that we serve a God who is just uh, and for us to grow an understanding of what it means to do uh, justice as, as God has invited and told us to, uh, to do. Uh, so I'm very grateful to uh, be with you here this morning uh, to be able to share about uh, God's heart for justice uh, and the work uh, at, uh, of International Justice Mission. Our vision at IJM is to rescue millions, protect half a billion, and make justice for the poor unstoppable. And IJM has been very influential uh, in helping me to understand uh, God's heart for the poor and his mandate for us to defend the oppressed. And it's my privilege to be able to share this with you today. Now, by way uh, of some brief background, IJM is a Christian global organization that fights slavery, human trafficking, and other forms of violent abuse against the poor throughout the developing world. And we do this by rescuing victims of violence, bringing restoration to survivors, working with the criminal justice system to ensure that perpetrators are held accountable, and then in doing so, strengthening justice systems. Our theory of change is that when justice systems function effectively, then they'll be able to protect the poor from violence as they're intended to do. Now, while most of us may have some understanding of the reality of injustice and violence that exists in the world today, I believe that it's also vitally important for us to understand the biblical call to engage in the work of bringing justice to a broken and unjust world. The Bible speaks of God as being a God of justice. He's just in all his ways, and he wants his people to reflect that characteristic in their lives as well. And because God is a God of justice, his people should do justice in order to be an accurate representation of the one that we say we love and serve. Now, in Old Testament scriptures, we learn about uh, what's sometimes referred to as the quartet of the vulnerable, which includes widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. Now, these groups existed on the margins of society, and they would be near to starvation um, if there was famine 
or some sort of social unrest. And they were also particularly susceptible to oppression and injustice. So when we see God's instructions, like in these verses in Zechariah, God's instructions to his people were to administer true justice, to show mercy and compassion, and to not oppress the vulnerable. And we also know uh, from Old Testament scriptures that the people of God lived through and experienced oppression, particularly when they were held as slaves in Egypt. They were beaten. They were forced to do hard labor. They were placed at disadvantage in the work, told to make bricks without being given straw. And Pharaoh even had a decree that all newborn Hebrew sons should be put to death. And all these are examples that demonstrate the type of injustice that the Israelites experienced. And we know that in the end, the Israelites were freed and that ultimately, the Exodus story is the story of God liberating his people from slavery and oppression in Egypt. So when we read scriptures like those found in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. It's clear that God expected this from his people, a people who understood and had lived through the experience of oppression. Now, perhaps we can say that stories of oppression like this are, are historical. And we like to imagine that uh, things today are different, that the world is less brutal, and that it's more just. But the reality is that there are over 40 million people in the world living as slaves today. To put that number into context... 40 million is greater than the current population of Canada. And 40 million is the highest number of people enslaved than at any other point in history. It's people like a woman named Sadna. Sadna's family is from a village in India. As a child, she was fearless, full of energy. She liked to fish and to climb trees to pick mangoes and coconuts. And when Sadna was just 11 years old, her father died suddenly, and then after that, she was expected to help contribute to her family. After her father's death, Sadna's family moved to the city of Calcutta to look for work. Now, when Sadna was 14 years old, she was introduced to a woman in an ordinary neighborhood in Calcutta. She thought that she would be helping out around the woman's home. When she arrived, she was brought to a room full of strange men. Sadna remembers that the woman told her not to worry, as she would get a job where she would be able to earn a lot of money. But Sadna knew that something did not seem right. She remembers... I didn't like the atmosphere. 
and I asked them to let me leave. They told me to sit and have a glass of water. I don't remember anything after drinking the water. Sadna woke up hours later on the floor. She was disoriented, naked, and afraid. She discovered that she had been raped and that this apartment was operating as a private brothel. She was now property, the slave of the brothel keeper. For months, Sadna and other girls would be sold for sex multiple times per day, hidden away from anyone passing by the home. Sadna remembers. I had lost all hope of getting out. I felt as if I had no hope left in life and had become a worthless human being. Now, when we hear a story like Sadna's, we may ask, how does God feel when his children are enslaved and oppressed? Where is God? Or perhaps, how do we respond to such injustice? And we can look at the account in, in Luke 4 that Pastor Shell read of the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry for a response. And if you allow me just to uh, go through and read again, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on Jesus when he announced that he was fulfilling the proclamation of the good news. And this is the good news of the kingdom of God, that through Jesus we are indeed set free from the hold and bondage that sin has on our lives. But it's also good news that Jesus seeks to restore freedom to those who are imprisoned, held captive, and oppressed. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus drawing near to the marginalized, to those who were the most vulnerable to oppression. People just like Sadna. And neglecting to do justice drew rebuke from Jesus. In Matthew 23, when Jesus pronounced his woes, he said this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, practicing mercy allows us to show God's care and love in very practical ways 
by sharing the abundant resources we have with others, especially with those deprived of the basic necessities of life. And God's people have shown mercy in incredible and powerful ways by implementing agricultural projects to help grow more food, digging wells so that people can have clean water to drink, building hospitals, orphanages, and schools, and the list goes on. We practice mercy by practically helping those who are in need so they can see God's goodness through our actions. But what if it's unsafe for people to use the services or facilities that are intended for their good? Children cannot access clean water at a well if they're at risk of being sexually assaulted while they're on the way there. Young girls and boys may be offered the promise of a better future through education, only to be deceived by traffickers and then forced into sexual exploitation through the use of threats and violence. So here we acknowledge that people suffer injustice because they have an oppressor, someone who unjustly exerts power over them to take away the things that God desires for his children, their freedom, their dignity, the fruits of their love and labor. And this is the risk faced by many in the developing world. The United Nations estimates that approximately 4 billion people live outside of the protection of the law. 4 billion. This is most of the world's poor. And without the safety, security, and protection afforded by the law, the global poor take the brunt of the world's injustice because there are oppressors abusing power to take advantage of the fact that they are poor and powerless. So then one way to understand what acting justly is can be this. Acting justly is not only giving someone a handout or a hand up. Acting justly means to intervene when we see injustice and to tell the oppressor, take your hands off. This is an important consideration when we talk about injustice, to remember that oppression is not just some philosophical or theological idea. Oppression has a face, a participant, an actor, and therefore we require courage in order to stand up against the oppressor. This man is Nakul Bera. He owned seven brothels and was the major trafficker of young minor girls from Nepal and Bangladesh into his brothels as well as many others uh, in his area. He was very well connected and had paid off many local authorities so that he could run his trafficking operations without fear of interference or consequence. IJM investigators had heard of Mr. Bear and had tried to see him arrested on several occasions. And we had rescued numerous girls from the brothels he operated, but Mr. Bear had gone into hiding in order to avoid arrest. But our investigators refused to give up. 
and eventually their relentless pursuit of him paid off as Mr. Bear was located and arrested by state authorities and placed in an Indian prison to await trial. Over the next three years, Mr. Bear applied for bail on 37 separate occasions. On all 37 applications, IJM lawyers showed up at court to argue that if he was granted bail, Mr. Barrow would be a flight risk. And on all 37 occasions, the judge agreed and denied bail. Ultimately, Mr. Barrow went to trial, and in the end, he and four of his associates were found guilty and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Mr. Bear's hands are now off, not only off the girls in his brothels, but also off those who may have been trafficked into the establishments that he operated. So consider the magnitude of saying, take your hands off to all the people who oppress the 40 million slaves in the world today. And this is how IJM has come to understand that bringing the good news of Jesus includes protecting the poor from violence and liberating the oppressed. And this is why I can tell you that sadness story does not end in despair, but in hope. IJM discovered sadness story and worked with local authorities in Kolkata for weeks to investigate the brothel where she was being kept. In January 2013, police and IJM conducted a rescue operation. Following her rescue, IJM brought Sadna to an aftercare home where she would be safe and could begin to heal. Today, Sadna is a vibrant 20-year-old living with the community of her friends. And she says, Now, I have even more courage than before. And she's even shared her story in communities across India, spreading this courage to those who hear her. Sadna's story and the story of Mr. Bear's conviction are examples of the work that IJM is doing worldwide to restore survivors of violence and to strengthen justice systems so that they can effectively protect the poor. And we know that it works. In 2006, IJM studied the impact of its model in Cebu, in the Philippines, to see if it could reduce the number of children available for sexual exploitation in commercial establishments and the street-based sex trade. The goal was to achieve a 20% reduction in minors available for sale. After four years of working closely with the justice system, independent researchers confirmed that there was a staggering 79% reduction in the availability of minors for commercial sexual exploitation. And there was also increased engagement in aftercare services for the survivors. As it turns out, when traffickers faced the real risk of going to jail, they stopped abusing the children. The Philippine government scaled the strategy in other areas of the country, 
And they are now also applying it to fight cyber sex trafficking, where children are sexually exploited online over the internet. IJM has also replicated the model in other cities worldwide. And through the work, we are seeing the transformation of cities and of whole countries. For myself, uh, I had the privilege of seeing this uh, when uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to serve in IJM's Mumbai field office uh, for one year. So we witnessed firsthand the passion, the dedication, and the perseverance of our team in fighting sex trafficking and in transforming the justice system. And my colleagues told me about the progress that they had made over their years of work. From not being trusted by the police to now being asked to train police officers in how to conduct trafficking investigations. From not being able to secure meetings with public officials to discuss trafficking to now collaborating with government bodies to host conferences on how to fight it internationally. This was the uh, International Conference on Women Trafficking uh, held in Mumbai in 2017, organized by IJM in collaboration with a state-level government commission working to advance the rights and status of women. At the podium, this is a regional director addressing the conference delegates, which included anti-trafficking experts, international law enforcement professionals, and Indian government officials. Our colleagues remarked how significant of a development it was to have Indian government officials participate in a conference discussing the importance of eradicating trafficking and slavery within India and across borders. They've seen real transformation in the justice system in India. This type of transformation shows that justice for the poor is possible, and we are indeed moving closer to seeing the end of slavery. And none of this transformation is possible without all of the supporters of the work involved. Which brings us back to us. What can we do here, here in Canada, here in this church community, in response to God's heart for justice and the need, particularly when the need can feel so daunting? Now, when we feel like this, we can remember when Jesus fed the 5,000. After a day of teaching and healing, the people who have gathered are hungry. They have no food. Jesus' disciples urge him to send the people home so that they can go get something to eat. Jesus' response, you give them something to eat. When his disciples point out the impossibility of the task, given that all they had were the five loaves of bread and two fish from a young boy, Jesus said, Bring that to me. In doing this, Jesus tells his disciples and us that he is the one performing the miracle. All that he asked was for their obedience and to trust him. 
and then Jesus fed 5,000. This is the type of trust and obedience that Jesus is asking of us in order to see the miraculous end of slavery. And he's asking us, what do you have? Will you bring it to me? God is at work to restore and rescue a broken and unjust world. And he asks us to be part of his mission to seek and to do justice. So this is my invitation to join with IJM in the fight against injustice until all are free. Free from slavery and oppression to be the children, women, and men that God created and intended. You can partner and support IJM through financial support as consistent and faithful giving allows us to be ready and able to send rescue whenever it's needed. You, become, you can become a prayer partner and receive updates on our work and to intercede for us as we know that the support and strength through prayer is absolutely critical for the significant work of justice. Now in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson writes, God's people are everywhere and always encouraged to work for the liberation of others helping to free them from every form of bondage that sin uses to stunt or thwart their lives. The promises and fulfillments of freedom are antiphonal throughout Scripture. And we know that seeking justice in an unjust world is neither easy nor quick. So to conclude, I return to what Jesus said when he was addressing the Pharisees about neglecting the important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus' life and ministry were marked by his service of others in obedience to the Father until the very end. And Jesus has promised freedom to those who are in bondage. May we follow him faithfully as we participate in the mission to fulfill that promise. Shall we pray together? Our God, our God of justice, our God who brings freedom, we give thanks that you have this, given us this promise and that in you and in your kingdom there is the promise of freedom. Thank you that in Jesus uh, we've been freed from uh, the bondage of sin and in any of the ways that we're held captive by sin and by others. So we pray, Lord, that as we continue to walk with you, that you will reveal and continue to show us what it means to do justice, to participate in your mission, to bring freedom uh, to those who are oppressed. And in doing this, Lord, may people see the hope that comes in and through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.